Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello, you're very welcome to The Tonight Show. International police forces come together to dismantle the Kinahan Organised Crime Group. A $5 million bounty has been placed on the heads of the crime cartel. You can run, but you can't hide from justice forever. And from today, they will be lo- running low on money, friends and influence. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson offers a full apology as he pays a fine for breaking Covid laws at a birthday party, but he will not resign. Let me say immediately that I've paid the fine and I once again offer a full apology. Paul Quinn brings us the very latest from the killing that has shocked Sligo. And later, psychotherapist Joanna Fortune will be here to discuss the mental health impact the war in Ukraine is having on refugees fleeing their war-torn country. As always, do get in touch on Twitter with your comments and your questions on hashtag TonightVMTV. tonight. A murder hunt is underway in Sligo after a man was found with serious injuries in the town yesterday. Our reporter Paul Quinn is in Sligo with the latest on that for us tonight. Uh, Paul, what can you tell us about this investigation? That's right, uh, Kira Belgar, the uh, in Sligo made the grim discovery um, yesterday evening at around half past eight. They were called to a house in Cartron Heights and there they found the body of a man in unexplained circumstances. Uh, that man has been named locally tonight as 41-year-old Aidan Moffat, who was originally from Lissacull near Balahadreen in County Roscommon, but had been living and working in Sligo for a number of years. He had his own um, property and investment company. He was well known in political circles. He was a Fine Gael activist. Uh, He was very well respected, well liked, had a a large group of friends both in Sligo and uh, in Roscommon and throughout today forensic investigations taking place at the house. His body was removed uh, this afternoon, brought to Sligo University Hospital where a post-mortem examination will be carried out. But uh, it's understood that that Aidan Moffat suffered a violent death. He suffered a very serious, significant uh, injuries, physical injuries. And uh, a couple of hours ago, Garthi upgraded their investigation to a murder investigation. Now, they say that they are also uh, investigating whether there was a hate-related uh, motive to this attack and whether uh, Aidan met his killer online. And they've also taken quite an unusual step of offering advice to people who may be perhaps meeting people online. They said that you 
should ensure that you get a picture first, that you should do a video chat with somebody. Um, you know, if, if, if you follow somebody on social media and it looks like a new account with very few followers, that that may raise suspicions to always tell your friends or family where you're going and to, to meet in public first. So this is definitely one strong line of inquiry that Garthi are looking at, that perhaps uh, the person responsible for Aidan Moffat's death, uh, in fact, that they, they met online. Now, the investigations are continuing. Post-mortem will be uh, carried out. But uh, as I say, Garthi have upgraded that investigation now to murder. And tonight, I suppose it's really important to remember that there are communities, uh, both in Roscommon and in Sligo, who are grieving as uh, somebody who is very much a big part of that community and trying to come to terms with exactly what's happened. Paul Quinn in Sligo for us this evening. Thank you for that update. Well, to the day's other main story now, and with a $5 million bounty on their heads, international police forces have come together to dismantle the Kinnahan Organised Crime Group. The US government has imposed sanctions on the three most senior members of the Kinnahan Organised Crime Group and offered rewards of up to $5 million for information leading to their arrests or the financial disruption of the gang. The gang is now placed in the same category as some of the world's most notorious and feared criminal organisations and faces sweeping sanctions. The Kinahan Transnational Criminal Organisation joins the ranks of Italy's Camorra, Mexico's Los Zetas, Japan's Yakuza and Russia's Thieves-in-Law. Well, the leadership of the Kinahan cartel has been officially ranked among a top tier of US law enforcement targets that, as you heard, includes the Italian, Russian and Mexican mafias. Assistant Commissioner John O'Driscoll, who has spearheaded the fight against the cartel's Irish operation, spoke to Claire Brock earlier. Assistant Guard, the Commissioner John O'Driscoll, can we talk about the impact of these sanctions that were announced today? How critical are they to the Kinahan's operation in the US, and how will it hurt them? Well, any organisation uh, that is involved in criminality to the level that the Kinahan's are uh, derive their power from wealth. And if you can deprive them of the wealth, you deprive them of their power. And that is what sanctions will, in effect, uh, cause. Uh, so they will have, find great difficulty in uh, retaining their wealth moving wealth that they have already accumulated uh, and in particular doing business with anybody or any entity that has anything to do with the United States. Garda Commissioner Drew Harris says he's confident that senior members of the Kinahan gang will be brought to justice sooner rather than later. Do you have a timeline on that? How soon do you think that can happen? Well, of course, when the Commissioner says that, that is in addition to those senior members who have already been convicted, some as recently as last week in, in the UK. Uh, so uh, his expectation is based on the extent of the cooperation that we have engaged in internationally, the quality of the uh, evidence that we have gathered and um, the progress which we are making in, in advancing a number of investigations. Daniel Kinahan is one of the most influential people in the world of boxing right now. What's your message to sporting bodies on announcing these major sanctions and indeed that five million bounty uh, for someone so strongly linked to boxing? 
Well, we're aware that the Kinahan organisation, we're all aware of the media campaign that they have engaged in and spent some money on uh, to try and convince people that they were not involved in criminality of the nature that has been alleged. Uh, so when you have uh, agencies of state from the US and from Europe today uh, declaring uh, that the Kenahan Organised Crime Group is one of the most significant organised crime groups in the world, it would be very difficult for anyone, including those in the boxing world, to continue uh, denial of uh, the fact that they are, in fact, a, a group of criminals uh, who engage in serious criminality. Uh, the boxing world will also have to exercise that caution that everyone else will have to exercise in doing any sort of business with the Kinahans or the companies that have uh, been um, sanctioned today uh, and will be in great difficulty if they are to attempt to continue doing business uh, with those entities and people. What message do you want uh, this announcement today to send to young people who may be involved in crime, perhaps at a low level, but who see the likes of the Kinahans, their power and their influence in the criminal world? Well, message is one thing, but this group has been responsible through selling drugs to communities for causing serious damage to health and, indeed, Death is, is the consequence of, of drug use in many cases. So we hope to contribute to reducing that sort of harm in communities. Uh, also, uh, the Kenahan Organised Crime Group uh, have engaged in, in activity which could contribute to destroying the sport of boxing. Boxing is a very important sport for inner city communities in Dublin and other communities in other cities uh, on a global basis. So we hope to try and we, to protect that sport and prevent the type of corruption that has entered into it through engagement by the Kenahan Organised Crime Group. Well, here in studio for more on this is Minister for Business, Employment and Retail, Damien English, crime correspondent at the Sunday Times, John Mooney, criminologist, Trina O'Connor, and Sinn Féin TD, Angus O'Snodig. And we are also joined via Skype by former Assistant Garda Commissioner Pat Leahy. You're all very welcome to the programme. Uh, John, I want to start with you. You've been documenting uh, crime in this country for over 20 years. How extraordinary was that press conference today in Dublin Castle? Well, it was very interesting. There was a theatrical aspect to it. Um, as a journalist that attends these things, sometimes I'm not used to listening to senior law enforcement officials name people, and name people, some of whom wouldn't be, their names wouldn't be familiar to the public, so we're all aware of who the Kindons are, but there are other people that uh, hadn't maybe been on the record, in the public consciences for a while. So in that regard, it was quite impressive. Um, it was very str strange in many ways because there was regular references to how much money this group is thought to have, which is roughly assets of a billion. Um, that inevitably leads the question into, well, how did they gather this? Like, the, that, the, the fact that a criminal group from Dublin had amassed such wealth 
would indicate that there was a succession of failures within policing and government policies going back the last decade or so. But when you get over that and you kind of look at uh, these efforts being made to confront this gang, it was quite impressive. What I was really kind of happy to see, I suppose, is the guards were being very frank about this. They were basically stating, we can't take this, these, these type of transnational organised crime gangs on on our own. They spoke about the successes that they had had against them, which were very modest in the overall scheme of things, what this, the, the alleged scale of crime that this group is involved in. Um, and I thought that was very honest and kind of refreshing in many ways to hear um, uh, Commissioner and Deputy Commissioner and others speak freely about that. Um, I think it's really important that the public also understand what's going on here. Um, this group has a lot of wealth behind it. It's, it's very difficult to track down wealth. And there's a number of things happen to organised crime groups when they get to this stage. They either implode, they morph into legitimate businesses, or um, they're locked up and they're disbanded. Um, when, and, and that takes a huge effort to do. And where were the Kennehans going? Were they trying to go down the legitimate route? Well, I, th well, I mean, I think they're a very misunderstood organisation to begin with. I think they were morphing into legitimate businesses. We've seen Daniel Kennehan, you know, put much of his efforts into becoming a boxing promoter and try to reinvent himself in that. Their actual day-to-day -day involvement in drug trafficking, I still think, is very unclear. I think they've made so much money, they don't really need to engage in criminal activity anymore because they've got so much money to, to, to you know they're buying up hotels they own extensive amounts of properties in South Africa South parts of South America right across Europe so they're, they're at that stage where they're transforming into something else and in many ways it's quite refreshing to see the guards and the Irish government in fairness to them leading a diplomatic effort to bring these people to account as opposed to allow them to go on yeah Pat I want to just pick up one of those points because I wasn't clear today to me how the United States and the law enforcement agencies over there had come to be involved in this investigation. What can you tell us about that? International police cooperation, Kira, is something that has become very efficient and very effective in the last probably two decades. And the European Union has been leading the charge somewhat in this and their policies and their procedures and their legislation uh, around it is really standing up as the measure now internationally. So being part of that, it gives us access to uh, other nations. And in fairness to the US, they have been at this game for a long, long time now. And I think there's a realization, it took some time for people to understand that this was not just an Irish problem. This was an international problem. And while we were seeing it on the streets of Dublin because uh, an internal feud uh, broke out and there were 18 murders as a consequence of that. It wasn't difficult to talk people around internationally because the Dutch were feeling it, the Spanish were feeling it, the US were feeling it later on in the game. But international cooperation is built on that and it's a relentless approach now by international law enforcement agencies and Ireland was just part of that and I, I know John said that Ireland acknowledged that they couldn't address this internationally. and But I mean, that's the same for most countries uh, because this is a transnational organisation. And from the word go here, it became very clear that uh, Ireland was going to need some assistance in relation to that. And the doors were open early enough. You need to persuade people somewhat, of course, to come on board and you need to give them the intelligence that you have and you need to give them the history uh, of it. But I don't think it took long for people to understand this was a transnational outfit that they were dealing with and they came on board. 
And it's obvious from this morning that a lot of investigation has gone into this. I think they came out and said about three years as a collaborative uh, approach. And that's how long it takes. We're six years into this journey. And I think today was a tremendous moment for communities because I think it gives people great comfort. Um, You talk about international cooperation there, but I think there is limitations to that cooperation, isn't there, when you see that a lot of the Canadians are now living in Dubai and there is no cooperation, it appears, between the authorities here, the UK and the US and the UAE. So in terms of apprehending the Canadians, is that going to be possible if they continue to live over there? Well, I think statements like the one today uh, will assist in that. And it's not a, a door that's completely closed because we know that there was a transfer to the Netherlands quite recently of a, of a serious criminal there. So we know that uh, people can be coerced in some ways to get on board uh, with this. And I think with the US on board and the reach that they have, it's very difficult to hold out against that kind of pressure. Uh, so I would expect that people are feeling very insecure in themselves today after what happened uh, in City Hall. This this is unprecedented and to come out so united, I think people internationally in the criminal uh, world are going to be looking at this and saying something changed today for sure. Um, John, do you think this is endgame for the Kinnahans? It could be endgame for specific individuals, but Criminal organisations, there's again, there's a number of things happen with them. They're either dismantled completely, which takes such a huge effort to, to target individuals from the bottom up and to lock them up for quite significant periods of time. That's the only way you dismantle them. Um, what usually happens is, is that you can have figures within an organisation being imprisoned and someone simply assumes that role. So it might be known as the Kinahan organisation in a year or two if uh, things work out properly for the guards and their uh, sister agencies involved in this, but you will probably see that organisation morph into something else. Um, the one thing about organised crime is that when it establishes networks, it becomes really impossible to remove it and eradicate it because at the end of the day, there's a demand for drugs and these people supply it. Um, I just want to pick up... Um Damien, on something that uh, John said, which is this gang are now at the level of the Italian and the Mexican and the Russian mafia. Are there questions to be asked as to how a street gang from Dublin have been allowed to get to this level? Are there questions to be asked of the authorities here? I think we have to bear in mind what's happening today. It's because of the work of our authorities over the last six years that we've had today's announcement and the cooperation that the global justice system is going after these guys. Um, the Irish, the, the Garrish economy here, our Irish, our Irish justice system has been pursuing them for the last six years. I, I, I think close to 79 or 80 convictions of people already uh, of, of the Kinnahan gang uh, as a result of that feud have already been put away but behind bars. They've been pursuing these guys. These guys are hiding from the Irish justice system for a number of years. I mean, they've, they left Ireland to escape the Irish people, the Irish guards. So our, I think our people here are doing their job, they are doing their work and have over the last couple of years brought together the UK authorities, the US authorities, uh, Europol and the different Spanish, the Spanish uh, Netherlands authorities together to chase these guys down. So I think based on evidence put together by the Irish Garrity O'Connor, we are making progress here and these guys will be got. But I think no one can sit back. But has it taken too long? Well, I mean, I think, listen, the path there, we understand now what's behind this. I mean, this is a, these are a global organisation. 
Well, they are now, I suppose. They were well, allowed I mean, to become a global organisation. Well, I mean, they obviously have been for a long number of years. I mean, to say that they have a billion of assets, they're not in Ireland. The Commonwealth of Europe pursued them already. They're all over the world. But thankfully now, I think because of the work that, that we, we should be proud of, of Gareth O'Connor, they've brought the system together now and they're going after them and no one can hide from this now. Uh, Ingus, I think sometimes when we're talking about the Kennehan gang and their lifestyle, you do forget the impact that their operation has had on the lives of ordinary people. What have you seen in your community? Huge impact. First of all, I think it's a good day today. Kind of the actions hopefully will uh, take the head off this organisation. But kind of it has so many ten tentacles throughout kind of Dublin, not just my own constituency. Um, a lot of communities, a lot of families will be hoping for relief. And that's, that's the key, is they're hoping for relief. I don't think it's going to come today. Uh, I think they'll be celebrating that kind of some action has been taken against the Kinnahans, but kind of devastation in families, kind of families uh, putting themselves into huge debt to pay drug, drug debts, uh, shootings, killings. Uh, kind of there was a period there where it was nearly w w one a week. Kind of, and kind of in, in certain parts, kind of people were watching out for it. And kind of all the, the lieutenants, those who are selling this, these drugs, are still there. They're there today. I can bring you down and show you them open drug dealing. And these are selling drugs at the behest of the Kinnahan gang. They well, wouldn't be selling unless they had kind of some tacit support. And they need to be also tackled, not just the top. Then, Trina, does an operation like today act as a deterrent for those who are getting involved in this type of criminality, do you think? No, it's not as simple as that. I, do, I just think to speak to your point about people selling drugs, there's actually a dual status for a lot of people involved in drug dealing. Some of them are in debt bondage to their own dealer and in addiction themselves. So they may be in active addiction and also involved in criminality. And for them, we need a, a kind of a, a restorative intervention there to support them people in their addiction and to move them away from criminality instead of criminalising young males, because that's what's happening across the country. Um, well, I think today is a really good day. I think that it sends a very clear message that people that are causing harms in our communities um, will be saved justice. I just worry that the eye has been taken off the ball at grassroots level because we have up-and-coming gangs the length and breadth of this country. And they're the only too happy, cartels. They're only too happy to supply. Um, the Kinnans may be... Uh, being dismantled. However, there are lots of even transnational organised criminal gangs that would be looking at Ireland as the next place for them to go. So we need the resources on the ground in communities. That's the key. Uh, John, do you think this five million bounty that's been put on the head of the three Kinahan uh, members, will that elicit information, do you think? And, and if so, where is that information coming from? You know, will it be from those smaller gangs uh, out there who perhaps see themselves as the next Kinahan? Well, initially I thought it was a bit of theatre, um, but it's not actually. And these type of rewards, or, or uh, sort of bounties on people, they serve a number of different purposes because there's no honour amongst thieves. Um, if you're Daniel Kinahan or Christy Kinahan Senior, Christy Kinahan Junior this evening, the only thing you're going to be thinking about is, is someone close to me, is someone a member of the gang, possibly going to reach out to this lot to, number one, save their own skin, but possibly acquire five million in the process? And whether that happens or not, 
the, this group are a highly entrepreneurial group of criminals. They've killed people. They've brought destruction on anyone who's crossed them. But they know, and there's a level of paranoia amongst them now with something like that. I was talking to someone who's very much involved in the drugs trade tonight, and like kind of, you know, was kind of sounding out what's what are, what's the sense amongst uh, people from that fraternity. In the general, they were guessing who would possibly. Uh, participate in or cooperate with law enforcement on that. This happens all over the world the whole time. The guards have used it as well to great effect. So whether someone comes forward or not, they are on now on standby for that eventuality. OK, well, the world of sport was also warned over its involvement with the Kinnan Organised Crime Group. Today and a little earlier, I spoke with Chief Sports Writer with the Irish Daily Star and I began by asking him about the Kinnan's links to the boxing world. Well, he operates at an extremely high level. The boxing is one of the only truly global. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Sports. For example, uh, you know, you look at the amateur level, over 200 countries compete at it. Uh, and you have world champions from... You know, the major countries like Germany, America, Italy, Britain, but you also have world, cha world champions and Olympic medalists from tiny places like, you know, the Cook Islands or countries like Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, Ghana, etc. So it's a truly global reach. And I've been working a podcast series the last few months about uh, Kenan and boxing, and a lot of people have said that now he is the main figure within the sport worldwide, that he is the Mr. Big, if you will. And I think this will have a serious impact because... We don't know exactly how much money is put into the sport. We do know of various companies linked to them. And we, uh, but um, there is a question of if the tap of money is switched off, what happens to that? 
And also there's a question of the amount of people in boxing who've dealt with him, but who haven't admitted they've dealt with him. We are told he's an advisor and a top advisor. That's what the boxers and trainers tell us. But surely somebody, if he's an advisor, he's negotiating these fights, because we're told he makes the fights. But it's hard to get people to admit in public that they do negotiate with Daniel Kinnahan. The Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris, made very sort of specific comments today targeting sports broadcasters and targeting some of those other prominent boxers that you mentioned there and asking them to, you know, re-evaluate their relationship with Daniel Kinahan, that they basically can't deny the truth of who he is and what he does any longer. Do you think that is going to have an impact? Will the boxing world shun him now? Well, but boxing, professional boxing is as most professional sports are, but particularly professional boxing, because nobody would get into a ring, uh, given the dangers that are involved uh, in twelve round fights, if they weren't if they weren't doing it for money. You know, they're not, you know, it comes down to you're taking a risk on behalf of your family, and to keep the sport going, you're very, very much dependent on TV money. And I think this story that's broken on a global stage today will scare off TV broadcasters. I would think that there would have been uh, hastily called meetings in a number of prominent broadcasters, and they will be worried that it would scare off advertisers. They will worry about being associated with the sport or with certain uh, boxers or trainers within the sport who are close links to Daniel Kinnan. So I think this will definitely see a reassessment. It's been very difficult to get anybody in boxing to speak out against Kinnan. It's been much easier to get people to speak in his favour. But uh, so it'll be interesting to see will that change now. All right, we're going to leave it there, Kieran Cunningham. Thank you for that update. Uh, Pat, just a final question to you: What kind of lifestyle now will those senior members of the Kinnahan cartel uh, lead? I think it's going to be very different now, uh, Kira. After today. And to go back to something that Kieran was saying there uh, earlier on, this is just not about uh, those individuals themselves or the individuals in the boxing world that they're dealing with. There's promoters, there's venues, there's organisations that are going to be affected today. And he's absolutely right. I would imagine that across the world today, there was lots of meetings with lawyers and legal advisors to figure out for people that have been uh, operating on the margins here to figure out where they stand now, how are they going to be affected by this? And they absolutely are going to be affected by it. So I would expect that they're going to find it very difficult to operate now, or at least far more difficult than it was, because I know from doing some work with sanctions uh, in relation to humanitarian aid and that, banks and anybody dealing with money, they're terrified of sanctions. And they're likely to step right back from this, and they're going to start uh, soul-searching themselves to see how do we protect ourselves now from this. They won't want to go near this uh, area. So I think it's going to be a very different world for them uh, very soon. All right, my thanks to uh, Pat Leahy. My panel is going to be staying with us. And after the break, we're going to be looking at the other big news stories of the day, including British Prime Minister Boris Johnson paying his fine for breaching lockdown rules.
very welcome back. Well, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has said that he accepted a fine by police for breaking lockdown rules in 2020, and he understood public anger over the issue, but he had not believed that he was in breach of the law at the time. For more on this, uh, London correspondent Ollie Barrett joins me now. So we've had this apology for the party that he said didn't actually happen, I think at one point. Um, he has repeatedly misled the Commons on this, Ollie. What are the consequences going to be for Boris Johnson, or will there be any? Well, deliberately misleading the Commons would be considered to be a resignation offence. But Boris Johnson has effectively addressed that issue today, suggesting that he was always speaking in good faith when he said that he and other members of staff hadn't been breaking any rules. He is uh, trying to uh, construct a situation in which we look back on that and get the impression that when he was saying those things, he didn't have the full information at hand, didn't realise that lockdown laws were being broken. That, of course, calls into question a lack of understanding from the Prime Minister about the, own, the, the legislation that he put in place himself with his government about uh, COVID-19 restrictions. In, in terms of other consequences, if he's able to see off that threat of uh, having breached the ministerial code and being forced to resign in that way, and he doesn't look like a man that is at all intending to resign in the near future, the other way for him to be removed would be if Conservative MPs turned against him. Now, in the not-too-distant past, it looked like that might well be the case. But today we have not seen a large number of MPs coming forward privately or publicly saying that they want to spark a leadership challenge at this point. So it may well be that in the short term, at least, Boris Johnson's position is secure as Prime Minister and leader of the Conservative Party, despite this unprecedented situation of having been found by police to have broken the law, but not just the law, his own laws. And at one point today, um, it appeared that the Chancellor, who was also fined, Rishi Sunak, that he might, given the fact that he's been under enormous uh, personal pressure and political pressure over the last number of weeks, that he might resign over this. But he appears to be staying as well. It looks that way, and that would have been really tricky for the Prime Minister if he had stayed in post and apologised but said he wanted to move on, but then found that his highest level minister, the finance minister, the Chancellor Rishi Sunak, had decided for exactly the same reason, that he felt he needed to step aside. But we have now that statement from Rishi Sunak in which he says he unreservedly apologises. He's also accepted the police fine and says he supports the Prime Minister and is going to now again get on with the job. The opposition parties are absolutely livid. The Labour Party say both men should be quitting. They say Parliament should be recalled to discuss all of these um, uh, matters. Uh, but as I say, Boris Johnson in the short term appears to be safe. And part of the reason for that actually brings us back to Rishi Sunak. Rishi Sunak is weakened at the moment as Chancellor, as a politician, as a potential future leader. And with uh, no other viable alternatives really making themselves uh, clear at this point in the Conservative Party, it does, does look like Boris Johnson may well hang on for now. Well, Boris survives another day. Uh, thank you for that update, Ollie. We'll leave it there here in studio. For more on this is Minister for Business, Employment and Retail, Damien English, crime correspondent at the Sunday Times, John Mooney, criminologist Trina O'Connor and Sinn Féin's TD, Angus Osnodig. Very quickly, uh, Trina, the optics of Boris Johnson breaking the laws that he was instrumental in introducing and ultimately getting away with it. It's not great, is it?
No, I mean, lawmakers shouldn't be lawbreakers. I mean, he, he's, he's morally bankrupt. Um, it's like, to me, I suppose, we can look at it from, you know, the other side of the water and look at what's going on over there. But I think when you see that image of the Queen at the, the funeral, sitting on her own, I think that really speaks to the English people. Um, I, I, I just don't know how he survived another scandal and he, he's, not, he's not for turning. He's going to stick it out and, and uh, keep going. Uh, speaking of surviving a, a scandal, a little closer to home, Damien English, uh, Robert Watt has uh, provided that report to uh, the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, and I understand the Tanisha and the Taoiseach uh, have it as well, uh, into the now abandoned appointment of Tony Holohan um, to TCD. Are you satisfied with the conclusions within that report from Robert Watt that he was acting within his own remit, that it was simply a personnel issue and that there was absolutely no need for the Minister for Health to be aware of it? Uh, two things here. I haven't seen the report, so I don't know what's in it, to be honest with you. Uh, I can see the leaks and commentary in the media about it, all right. I'm not happy with, with, with the whole process. There, there, there was total lack of transparency with this initiative over the last couple of weeks as well. I'm disappointed in that. An opportunity lost here to possibly match up uh, a good public servant from the Department of Health with, a, with an interesting role in, in, in university in, in Trinity, which I think would have brought benefit in the long run to the health, health system, but it was handled the wrong way, from what I can see. Uh, total lack of transparency. By and, whom? And, well, Who I mean, handled again, it the wrong way? I haven't seen the report, but it doesn't matter by whom. We have to fix it. Well, it actually does. Now, I think, no, I think sorry, people watching the people say it definitely was, matters by Sorry, who. what I meant was, it's, it's disappointing that it, has, it wasn't handled right, and now we've lost possibly a good person for that role. Uh, the, the role should have been advertised and found the best person for the job. Tony Hulan possibly was the best person for that job, would have got it anyway, but there has to be proper transparency. That didn't happen. I read but do we not tomorrow, also need to identify who is responsible well, I, and who is to blame? Oh, and that if, is important. Of course, here, yes. The report, I presume, identify that, but I think in this case, situation, it's probably not so much what's at fault. There's probably two on the... I think Robert Watt, but it sounds like things might have understood it was, it was, it was on his end as a... As a um, as a comment, which normally would be, but when it's someone of Tony Hoolan and his level in the Department of Health, it possibly needed to go to Cabinet. And that's, I, I presume, what we need to discuss and figure out and put in place procedures that it can't happen again. Uh, Ingus, it's, it was, it's a shame that this ha has happened. Osnodic, are you satisfied that, um, as the Taoiseach said, lessons will be learned and this will be looked at at Cabinet tomorrow and uh, there's a bit of confusion about um, you know, what maybe Robert Roth's role was and, and where his remit started and ended? Well, I haven't a clue why Robert Watt was put in charge of a report into himself. And he's even admitted that he played a central role in all of this. And I, don't, I just can't figure out what genius thought that, that it was a good day to ask somebody to put a report into himself. As for fitting up somebody for a position or make it, making a fit, I think that time is over. Every job, whether it's a job to be got, has to be advertised. And we already know the government have already gone uh, through stages of appointing people in the wrong without the proper process. Um, and this, this is another example. And lessons need to be learned. They weren't la learned the last time. Um, and I, I, I think somebody else needs to look specifically, was there anything done that shouldn't have been done, kind of, and was Robert Watt the right person to, to call this? Because it doesn't look uh, as if Stephen Donnelly has control of his department. In the end of the day, he is the minister in charge. 
So the first question there, I think, Damien, should Robert Watt have been tasked with finding out if Robert Watt uh, handled well, this appointment and this secondment correctly? Because that's essentially what has yeah. happened here. No, I think, I think this report, again, I haven't seen it. I look forward to seeing it. But I suppose it's setting out the process and the facts of what did happen. So as the person in charge of the department, that's fine with me. As an initial, let's see exactly what happened. That's a report to the minister who will be brought to Cabinet. And then we can see if there's still questions after that, that's a different story. But I presume that will be able to set out what happened here. And then we need to deal with that. According to the person who is responsible for well, what I mean, happened. Well, I mean, it'll be factually recorded what happened, and we'll see that. I think we all recognise this was, this, what happened here was wrong. The Taoiseach and Taoiseach stepped in last week and put an end to it effectively and said this wasn't transparent. And now we need to learn from that and correct it. But the job has not been filled by Tony Hoolan now, so it, that, that's not happening. So it's Does the job actually there. exist outside of Tony Hoolan? Do we know that? Well, I, I think from what I, my understanding is that there's, that there's, a, there's a role here that just should be filled by somebody. Maybe Tony might... might, 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 might um, apply for it in a private capacity because I think we know he's a lot to offer an educational system and certainly we do want to beef up our, our health system with new talent and so on that's what the role is about Do you about think that's term. on the cards that I, Tony Hillen no will come back I, I, to this I, role in I, a private capacity? I'm just capacity? saying to you in terms of the way it was handled last week was the wrong way that has not happening now there's a report to correct that now and into the future. Let's see the report, first of all. I'm saying, from my understanding, is there's a need for that role and someone should fill it and through, through proper, transparent, normal way of filling a role and let those apply for to think, think they're fit for the job. Um, another point that Angus made was that, you know, there are questions to be asked over Stephen Donnelly and his control of his own department and his relationship with his most senior civil servant. No, that's not the issue here at all. The issue is just around transparency. Everybody, everybody probably felt that Tony was well fit for this job, but you still have to go through the proper channels when you're, when you're filling a public post. So well, it's, not, it's not a question of whether Tony was fit for the job. Nobody's, nobody's raising that question. It's the, the question is, it's the process, it's the funding. There's a whole series of questions uh, that the minister should have been involved in at the start. I should have been informed we are going down this road or we're thinking of doing this, and that wasn't Again, done. Again, Kieran, when we see the report, we know this, but the understand from, from what I'm reading, uh, because it's a secondment, which is normally done at a, probably a lower level in the system, it would normally be held by the Secretary General of the Department. The Minister wouldn't be involved in that. But at this level, it probably needed a different approach. And that's what I think has to be the learnings here from this. It's not a secondment. This was a new job. He was finishing one job and going to another. A secondment is you're, you're released for a period and you come back to your job. Angus, you, you seem to have read the report. I've not read it. So I think we have no, to... Well, I, I think Ingus is right in that. A secondment, according to the Department of Public Expenditure's own website, is limited, is temporary, or for a specific period of time. For, this was open-ended. It can be for a number of years. I mean, the secondments are different. Are different but this nature. was open-ended. But I'm, what I'm saying is, in this case, regardless of what did or didn't happen in the past, at such a, such a high level, and with a, with a person of the profile and position of Dr Tony Hoolan, it needed to be held in a different way, in a more transparent way. And I presume that's what the rep report will call out, but I haven't seen it yet. John Minnie, what do you expect to happen here? I think this will go off the news agenda in the next two weeks for lots of different reasons. There's so much uh, going on at the moment. Um, but I, I do think it's important to say that um, Ireland really does need to start putting people into academic roles that have practical experience of dealing with issues that normal academics don't. Um, Tony Hoolan has been at the forefront of one of the biggest issues that this state has faced in the past uh, century and has great experience that he could uh, pass on to people who are coming up in the medical discipline and public health discipline. And it, regardless of what happened in the background in terms of the pro his appointment or the plans for his appointment, that we, we've actually kind of missed an opportunity there. Um, because we've got to become, as a, I suppose, a society, much more comfortable with the idea of getting people who have 
huge public experience of issues and how to cope with them in a very yeah. unfolding situation um, right. and put them into academic roles. All and right. we've lost that. Uh, we're going to have to leave it there. My thanks to Damien, John and Ingus. Lots more after this break, including psychotherapist Joanna Fortune. Stay with us. Very welcome back. Psychotherapist Joanna Fortune and criminologist Trina O'Connor are here with me now to discuss the mental health impact the UK or the Ukraine war is having on communities. Um, Joanna, you're very welcome to the programme. And Trina, thanks Thank for you. staying with us. Um, given, I suppose, what we've all watched and listened to over the last seven weeks, those really, really distressing images coming from the Ukraine, are you seeing kind of a heightened anxiety among adults and children? Absolutely. I mean, how could we not have heightened levels of anxiety? There's a media saturation with this. And I think it's it's also interesting that we're not just getting our news streams about war from traditional media sources. It's happening with very first person accounts on TikTok, on you know social media playing out in a way that you feel like you're there witnessing it as it's happening because in one way you are. And it's very unfiltered isn't exactly it? Exactly that it's very raw, very unprocessed and I think you know that's those of us who have the privilege to be able to go gosh I'm overwhelmed by this I really need to take a break from what I'm exposed to and I need to check out and reset a busy overwrought brain by literally changing your field of vision so looking away from your screen and looking at something else, getting outdoors, getting moving, getting involved in nature so that we can say, I need to come down from that heightened state. And we have that privilege of doing it in a way that the people whose active lives are li they're living through this they don't have that opportunity. And I suppose that's what we're looking at. So yes, we've heightened anxiety, but we also have mechanisms that we can reach into and dip into to offset some of that. And we do need to use that. I would encourage everybody to take regular media breaks or social media breaks and to allow our, our central nervous system just to come down and settle a bit as well. And um, what about those communities out there who've sort of opened their hearts and their homes um, to those Ukrainian uh, refugees who've, who've fled and who are looking to, you know, set up a life here? And um, what can they do to sort of protect themselves, I suppose, when they are being exposed to so much sort of hurt and, and pain and grief? I think there's something that we do really well in this country is we can be very open-hearted, open-armed and welcoming. And I think that's great and it's a strength that we have. But in welcoming people who are coming from trauma and it's not like the trauma is in Ukraine and when I leave, I've left it behind me. I carry that with me. And I think we have to also be aware that the responses to this situation aren't just here's a bed to sleep in, here's a house to stay in or a room to stay in, that there is that displacement of mind as well. There is an unhoused state of mind and we do need to be putting into in uh, making available um, very tangible, practical mental health supports for everybody coming as well. And I think that's everyone in the community here. I think we all have a role in that. But I also think in our desire to help, be aware that what we're making available, it can take people more time to avail of what's available. I need to be ready for that as well. I need to ease myself in. People who are coming into our communities have experienced huge trauma, really, really huge. And that takes time. Uh, Trina, I know you would agree with Joanna on that point do you feel that these communities have been properly prepared um, for you know bringing in Ukrainian refugees and that the supports are there for these people who have suffered so much trauma 
Um, no, I, well, it's all happened so quickly and it is moving, but I think there's a lot of trauma that they're coming with that's ongoing. Like, does, does the grieving process for a lot of these um, uh, women and children as well, because they've, they've been separated from the males in their lives. Um, the psychological services we know are struggling in this country. And another thing, I suppose, too, that we might forget about is the children in the schools. So the children are being welcomed into our schools, which is brilliant. But our Irish children are also traumatised by secondary trauma because they can start questioning about war. They can start asking, is this going to happen in my country? So, you know, Bernardo's have put up a really good resource for dealing with uh, children that are coming from war, both for the children that are welcoming them and also the children that are going to the school. So to answer your question, uh, no, we're not prepared. Um, the families that are opening up their, their homes, I think it's, it's the amazing um, generosity of spirit of Irish people but we have to make sure that there's boundaries in place and support for people because we, we have very traumatised people that are going to need a lot of support um, and, and it's our, we should provide them support. Uh, what advice, Joanna, then would you have for parents who are you know, dealing with their own children who perhaps are traumatised or dealing with children who've come in from Ukraine who are obviously finding it very difficult to adjust to a new life here? Yeah, I think, you know, we're talking about supports and mental health supports for children. That really is a very common language of play. I think our children, our own children and children we're welcoming in, need opportunities to play together, to eat together, to be together, to sing, to interact and engage. And I think we're going to see waves where sometimes our children are really availing of that and in a very playful space and other times more withdrawn and shut down. And both of those states are normal because I'm going to experience waves of anxiety with this. I think for our own children we need to assume they're absolutely aware of what's going on now this isn't a question of what might they know but don't assume that everything they know is accurate so making sure that we check in with them in a very meaningful way on a daily basis you know what are you holding on to is there any questions you have what can I do with it and understanding that children don't sit like adults and talk about their feelings they communicate in different ways so using different mechanisms like drawing pictures of your feelings working it out with play-doh with sand doing it in very tangible sensory practical ways as a means of working through and accepting that play is their language all right um, just to let you know you can contact helplines on virginmediatelevision.ie forward slash helplines. Uh, my thanks to Joanna and Trina and all of my guests. Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou Macdonald will be joining me here tomorrow night in studio uh, from all the team here for now though. Good night and do take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.